Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode, backed by our crowdfunders, Mark Gerling and Cynthia Cherian. Kudermatova wins Charleston. Sonigo does the double in Cagliari. And Roland Garros gets pushed back by one week. Kim, the clay season is well and truly here. Monte Carlo is just around the corner. We've had a week of clay events in the build-up in America and Europe. We've had some red clay. We've had some green clay as well. I mean, are you are you excited at the prospect? Are you happy that the hard courts are now very much well for now anyway in the rearview mirror as a as a Rafa fan? Oh, as a Rafa fan, I am delighted that Clay is back. <laughs> Clay is here and it's Monte Carlo, which is just the most beautiful tournament uh, in the world. And we didn't have it last year as well, which makes it doubly exciting. Yeah, it's for me, just visually, it is the greatest tournament uh, with the, the mountain view, the sea view. It's just stunning. And I love having it. I mean, I love being there, but I love also watching it on telly and I love it when they do like the aerial shots so you can just see the scenery <laughs> uh, as well as the tennis, of course. But yeah, uh, really excited for Rafa's return this week. And we'll be getting on to that a bit later when we preview the draw at the end of today's episode. But we should start with, with the clay that we've had this week. Uh, the green clay of Charleston, uh, the red clay of elsewhere. No, no blue clay, though, Joel, this year, so I don't think, uh, no, thankfully. No, Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like some people are really want blue clay to make a, an emergence again on the tour. I just feel like there's, I feel like it's an unwritten, uh, there's only been one chapter of blue clay. I feel like there should be more chapters to come, but uh, maybe after Rafael Nadal has retired, because I know he's not, he's not the biggest fan. Well, I think Roger Federer fans were all for the blue clay. <laughs> I think true. Federer won that one tournament. Yeah, he did. Madrid, Madrid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's the goat of blue clay, which we'll, we'll give that to Fed. Let's, let's go for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we had like the green clay of Charleston. Let's start there because that was the WTA 500 event. And the final was literally just finished about half an hour ago before we started recording. And that was Veronica Kudermatova uh, against Danka Kovinic. So two names that many people won't be that familiar with. Two names that probably I wouldn't have picked out to come through to the final, uh, looking at the the top names that we did have in the draw. But I think actually, I think only nine, um, well, only one of the top 10 seeds made it into the quarterfinals and that was Ash Barty. So it really uh, wasn't a good week for kind of the higher ranked WTA players, was it, Joel? But in the end, Kudermatova has won her very first WTA title without dropping a set. So fantastic week for for the young Russian player. 
yeah, really impressive from her. I watched a bit of her match uh, against Sloane Stevens in her quarterfinal, and she just has a really, really nice game, really, really easy on the eye sort of game to watch. Um, I think quite flat. She likes to be quite aggressive. And, you know, I think she, in in that Sloane Stevens match, she really has a big game, I think, from the baseline. Um, you know, I was reading in the preview to the final, when I think growing up, her idol was kind of Maria, Maria Sharapova. And you can, I think you can see aspects of Maria Sharapova's game in her game and it's doing her kind of really uh, well at the moment and yeah she was really impressive this week winning all of her matches in straight sets and I think making the most of you know some of the higher profile players perhaps being a little bit tired um, you know from Miami I certainly feel like that was the case with kind of Ash Barty and Muguruza uh, as well but yeah I think very impressive stuff from her and able to kind of get through Kovinic um, in the final as the favourite, uh, you know, she'll be really, she'll be really, really happy with that. Yeah, because it was her, you know, her first title on the WTA Tour and coming up against Kovinic in the final, who, you know, is ranked 91 in the world. So Kodermatova was, you know, the clear favourite to win that one. And, and she did do so in straight set 6-4, 6-2. Much tidier, I think, on the um, on, on the court today. Um, generated a lot more kind of breakpoint chances and, and took them. So absolutely deserved victory. You know, she's been playing really well all week and she's had a really strong season. I think she's about fifth in the, in the WTA race in total because she got to the final in Abu Dhabi she made the quarters in St Petersburg and now finally um, you know picking up a title here so she's going to be going up to the top 30 in the world she'll be 29 in the world from tomorrow uh, so she is is like the, the number one Russian player on the tour now so um, yeah fantastic week for her and and also for Kovinic who was also gunning for her first title on the WTA tour and and actually she's been around for a while and she she has been to WTA finals before but not for um, at least five years so it's been a long long time since she's been at this sort of stage of a WTA event and you know this would have been her her biggest moment as well uh, if she would have been able to, to pick it up you know today but obviously not to be yeah, I mean, she had a great win against Petra Kvitova, four and one, um, in the in the in her route to the final. And yeah, it was just I think a, a step too far in, in the final. Um, I always remember Kovinic actually because she got double bageled by Ash Barty uh, at the Australian Open on the on the hard court. So obviously she um, has come a long way since then. I I don't know if if kind of clay is her sort of number one surface, but yeah, really really impressive stuff to kind of come through. Quite quite a stacked field, I think, in terms of high profile players in a 500 to come through unseeded um, in that bottom half um, you know had a really good win as well against Ons Jabor in the semi-final I think Ons Jabor was was playing some of the best tennis this week but Kovinic was just able to yeah she was just able to kind of come through it pretty convincingly but um, yeah really impressive from her to, to get to the final as well. Yeah, and Onjibal was the highest seed left in. She was the 12th seed, uh, got mm. to the semi-finals. And actually, that was her first semi-final on the tour on clay, which for, for me is, is surprising. I, I just would have assumed that Onjibal would have kind of got to that stage already. But there we go. So breaking into new territory as well. But yeah, great win for Kovinic over her and, and Kodermatova as well. Like you said, she did definitely, I think, make use of, of some of the top seeds having gone out because her draw, if you, if you look at it on paper, you know, wasn't the toughest. Uh, I don't think anyone would 
disagree with that, but she still got the job done against like the likes of Sloane Stevens and, and Paula Bedosa. So, um, yeah, really kind of clean, uh, clinical week for, for Kudema, Kudermatova. God, I think it's a bit of a mouthful trying to I say know. her name sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, let's just mention Sloane Stevens actually, Joel, because she actually had, I think, a pretty decent week. You know, she got to the quarterfinal. She won three matches in a row, including a win over, you know, fellow American Madison Keys and also against uh, Tom Janovic. So do we think this is possibly the start of a bit of a Sloane Stevens renaissance? Yeah, she was really, really on form this week, I think. You know, she's been in terrible, you know, she had that awful string of first round losses, coaching changes and really, really tough. And it was really insightful to hear actually this week some of the reasons why you know, it's been so tough, uh, you know, in her life, actually, over the last 12 months, talking about the pandemic. And, you know, she was just very frank about it. And in kind of one of her kind of interviews, she said, you know, I had COVID. I lost three people that were very close to me. I'm in Australia. And I literally had to go to my grandparents' funeral on Zoom. I was just not ready to play. So, again, you can see the sort of implications that, that you know, the pandemic has had on players. And to kind of hear that is quite to hear that from, you know, someone like Sloane Stevens is very kind of, I think, humanizing of these kind of elite level athletes and, you know, the things that they've, you know, they've been through. And I think Sloane Stevens, potentially of all of the, you know, the players on the tour, she's probably felt, you know, the effects of, of COVID, um, you know, the most one through, you know, having it herself and the, you know, the impact that has, I guess, on, on her fitness and on her game and her, you know, ability to train and et cetera. But also the fact that, you know, unfortunately it's, it's affected her in other ways and that she's lost family. And, you know, you can see, I think once you kind of hear those sorts of things, you can probably understand why, um, you know, she's having a tough, very tough time of it on tour. And the fact that, you know, she wasn't, you know, she felt like she was obliged to play, but she wasn't, you know, she just wasn't mentally there. And um, yeah, it's it was great to kind of see her, I think, rediscover some of the old form, some of the old Stone Stevens that, that we've known as a, as a Grand Slam champion. Yeah, I think her coming out and being, you know, open and honest about how she's been feeling, that that's it is refreshing because it does humanize, you know, these top athletes, like you said. And we do, I think, tend to forget that like they are going through you know, rough times a lot of the time. Um, and I do, I think when she, you know, won her, her slam a few years back, that kind of came after a period of, of injury. She'd had surgery. So I do wonder if, you know, she will kind of build on this and use that as kind of fuel for, for good. Um, but we'll have to wait and see what she does, you know, the rest of the season now. This, this is at least a positive start a progression and and clay might be the best best surface for her to kind of rediscover that form i always kind of talk to my my friend actually about the fact that you know that final she had at at roland garros against simona hallett where she won the first set uh, and then lost lost in three i mean that was some of the best tennis i think we've ever seen stone stevens play in her career and i think certainly that the clay season you know in terms of kind of americans i certainly think she's one of the more natural players on on a clay court so I have no kind of reason to see why she can't kind of continue this form um, you know onto the red clay in in Europe and um, it will be interesting to see how she develops because I do think she is more one of those natural players uh, those natural Mm. American players it's not just about kind of hard courts I think her kind of her game just also is very well suited to the clay courts as well. 
Yeah, I think she's got a very versatile game for all surfaces. So um, mm. I really hope that we do see her get back up there. And and let's just talk about uh, Ash Barty. Uh, you mentioned, Joel, that, you know, she was a bit tired probably coming in off, off a Miami title. And it is tough to go straight from the hard courts onto the clay with without any space in between. And I think that showed because Ash Barty lost uh, to Paula Bedosa in straight sets in the quarterfinals. And um, to be fair, Barty, I think, you know, she didn't, play badly i think she was just knackered just wasn't in her (laughs) just exhausted i mean that match with shelby rogers i think it just i mean although she came through it seven six four six six four she i think that absolutely took it out of her and as you said the the switch from hard court to to clay court in such a short space of time having you know having one you know miami like what 48 hours before um you know it, it wouldn't have been you know it wouldn't have been easy i actually think fair play for her to, for, for actually turning up because she i think she could very easily could have withdrawn and and you know the tournament organizer and, and fans probably would say you know fair enough but um you know she was obviously keen to get on with it but i think yeah she just ran out was ran out of steam and it was a it was a, it was a story for ash barty but it's also a story for for garbina muguruza but i feel like the 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 end result was was different because Vash Barty was just in a it came in the form of a, a pretty comprehensive loss I think to to Bedosa kind of four and three but with Muguruza it was a bit it was a bit more bizarre wasn't it against uh, against Putintsova. Yeah, she was uh, six love up, and that's Muguruza. She was, you know, steaming through that first set. Six love up against Putinsva. It was two all in the second set. And then, yeah, Muguruza just retired, seemingly out of the blue. But I think what she she said was that she had a bit of, of pain in her leg and kind of it kind of came on quite strongly all of a sudden. And obviously, she didn't want to risk anything What with, you know, Grand Slam looming and, and the rest of the clay court season. So she just said, well... You know, I thought it was best to to pull out, and maybe she she did feel also, yeah, a bit of a bit of tiredness just because she has played, I think, the most matches of anyone on the tour so far this year, and that's on the ATP or WTA tour. So I think you know she's probably being quite sensible with um with that decision uh, to to withdraw, and I mean. Yeah, I think you you've, you know your body, don't you? Um, you've got to listen to it, and and that's what she did, even though it did come as a bit of a bit of a shock. Because because she said, you know, she was already feeling some pain in her first match, so I was a bit okay. I was I was kind of thinking, well, if that was the case, why didn't you just kind of withdraw before? But she obviously felt that in that moment, it just wasn't it just wasn't worth the worth it. And you know, we know Muguruza, you know, have, I think her preferred surface, you know, we, I think she all, again, she's got an all court game, but I think she does love, you know, the, the clay courts. And, um, you know, I think hopefully, yeah, all systems will be go for, you know, potentially a, a crack at the French Open later on. But, um, and this was just a, a precautionary thing, but you don't often see players kind of retire after bageling their opponent. And I think Yulia Patitsova would have been very kind of thankful um, <laughs> that she kind of retired when she did because it felt like it was probably going to be one-way traffic. I mean, to be honest, we I thought kind of Muguruza, you know, the, the tennis that she's plim playing uh, this season, I thought she was just going to sort of steamroll it through to through to the final and if 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 a body i think hadn't sort of um you know played up played up on her potentially that that could have happened but i think again it's just showing you know fans and, and everyone out there that how you know demanding this this season can be and i don't know if players feel more pressured at the moment because there are less tournaments or you know it's harder to travel whether they feel like they need to play these matches and that's putting you know these situations in front of us but as you said 
when your body tells you to stop, you're going to have to stop. Yeah, and as well, you know, less prize money on offer, and mm. you know, not. I'm not saying Magruther would be thinking about that. I think <laughs> she's at that stage; she doesn't need to worry necessarily about prize money. But for other players, certainly, they must be thinking, "Oh, we've got to really make the most of every match and every week on tour." And and that's what um, a certain someone out in Bogota has been doing, Joel, uh, Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano, uh, who is a, a sort of wild card from Colombia, playing at her home event. It's only her four. WTA event um, ever. Uh, she's she's won the tournament uh, in front of all her home her home fans, and becoming the lowest ranked WTA winner uh, for a couple of years. She's ranked down at 180 in the world. And I don't think, well, I mean, the locals must be absolutely delighted because coming in as a wild card, going all the way to the title, don't think many people would necessarily have predicted that one. No, that was uh, that was absolutely fantastic. I watched, I caught the caught the end of it. It was obviously very emotional. I think they actually played the national anthem as well uh, in the uh, in the build up to the final. It was, uh, you know, very I think passionate affair and really really impressive. And you know, Colombia obviously have had previous, um, you know tennis kind of champions you know i remember kind of fabiola zuluaga uh she won the uh, event four times uh in 1999 and between 2002 2004 but the fact that they've got this new uh well potentially this new uh tennis prodigy coming up uh you know it'll be a massive shot in the arm i imagine for colombian tennis and uh it was just it was just a cinderella story that just it just kept on going and i think you know she she had had previous at this tournament i think she ran, she got to the quarterfinals last time she played it and lost to the, the champion and the samova but really really impressive stuff from her to go through to the final and i guess live up to the expectations as well yes you got given the wild card yes you're a teenager but in front of your home fans in the final I feel like you're you you've got the pressure to deliver there definitely uh yeah a really good really good solid week for her she only dropped one set in the final against uh, Tamara Zidanzek who herself you know is 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 you know not a, exactly a household name to put it lightly uh but yeah this Osorio Serrano like she gained her first win this week over a top 100 player and um yeah really really good run through to the title I mean we were all kind of saying weren't we oh this has got Cerebe's Tormo's name written all over <laughs> it she went and lost to Sara Irani in the in the first round <laughs> uh but you can never rule out you know Sara Irani she is a, a French Open finalist so obviously has form on on, on a clay court but but um, yeah, really nice story. Um, as you said, a bit of a Cinderella story, bit bit Marcus Willis esque, perhaps. Yeah, what well, wasn't it? The Marcus <laughs> Willis of of Colombian tennis, yes. Um, but yeah, moving on to the ATP side, we had a couple of two fifties uh, on the red clay, and we'll start in Cagliari, where we had the home uh, home favorite Lorenzo Sonigo uh, beat Laszlo Gere in a three set final uh, two six seven six six four. Sonigo really had a, had a really, really good week. He became the first Italian in 15 years to capture an ATP tour title on home soil. Um, and I think he won the doubles as well. So, you know, to do the singles and the doubles, he must have been playing very, very good tennis this week in Cagliari. Um, I watched a bit of the highlights against Fritz uh, in the semi-final. And um, yeah, it was a very... 
it was very very attritional and um yeah very impressive from him italian tennis i feel like we've said it a million times before kim but i feel like italian tennis is in a real purple patch at the moment and if we're not talking about yannick sinner we're talking about lorenzo sonigo and maybe Monte carlo it'll be berrettini but it feels like there's just an endless sort of conveyor belt at the moment of italian particularly italian male players that are, are really uh doing doing the business on the tour at the moment yeah they're certainly all coming through aren't they together and uh i mean sonigo yes he he's done the double uh so he did partner with vasa Va, sorry vavasori uh to win the doubles i think vavasori is the one that won the title with lloyd glasspool mm. a few weeks ago but um yeah really good uh for sonigo he's also the one that won against Djokovic last year isn't he I think he had that like random yeah. victory in Vienna, I want to say. But um, anyhow, um, yeah, really good week uh, for him. He's a bit of a grunter, though, isn't he, Joel? Um, which is that, you know, minus points for him. <laughs> I feel like that was my one nitpick. Uh, I don't know if, if <laughs> listeners have, have watched any of his, his matches this week, but his grunting is is verging on on screaming. And I'm like, I'm OK with that. But if the, the length of it is the thing that kind of gets me and it, it, it feels like it's verging on, it feels like it is verging on hindrance of the other player, the length uh, his kind of grunt goes on for. And... I don't know if it's just habitual because, uh, you know, I think a lot, a lot of kind of fans are noticing the fact that he, he does the same sort of voice, whether it's a, you know, really brutal kind of forehand from the baseline, as well as sort of a, a gentle backhand slice. So I feel like he doesn't, it, he doesn't necessarily adhere himself to uh, fans with that potential kind of style, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't, I, I was actually surprised. I don't think any of the players, his opponents kind of picked up on it. Uh, I think if I was playing him, I certainly would be having a word with the umpire because I, particularly in that Fritz match, it was just, it was just relentless. And you felt that it was, put, I felt like it was putting off Fritz, to be honest. And I don't know if the ATP might have a, a word with him, whether he'll listen, who knows. But um, I do think that if there is one aspect of his game he needs to work on is, is maybe his grunting because it's just, yeah, it's just very, very loud and very, very long. And I do think it's sort of, <laughs> it's sort of approaching on hindrance of the other player. It's a bit much. <laughs> well, from, from one Lorenzo to another and another, you know, young Italian, Lorenzo Massetti. Uh, so we had it kind of earmarked, hadn't we, that he might be playing Dan Evans in the second round. Uh, Dan Evans being the top seed at this event. And we did say, oh, you know, that, that could be quite a, a quite interesting match. And, it, and so it proved to be because, uh, well, it went to a last set tie break and Dan Evans had four match points, uh, but Massetti managed to, to save them all. Um, and and win that one uh, on that last set tie break and I mean that was a yeah cracking cracking finish to a bit of a topsy turvy first two sets so they should, it both had won a six one um, but yeah what did you make of that I wasn't surprised that you know Dan lost that one obviously Musetti we know is a really good prospect uh, and young talented player but a bit frustrating uh, yeah. for Dan that he couldn't managed to get over the line after having four match points i know i think i think that was the most disappointing thing because <laughs> if you look at the semi-finalist he was the only one of the top four seeds not to make it but we did we did earmark the Massetti is he's such a um you know he's such a talented player and um you know he he, he had some of those breakthrough breakthrough victories last season and he's backing it up this season he is one of those players i think along with yannick sinner at the moment he's just like you just do not want to face him if you're a top you know, one of the the top ranked guys um, early on because he is such a 
such a talented player and um really his his backhand i think is the the jewel in the crown of his game it just looks absolutely fantastic on screen and i'm really interested to see where where he can go in this clay court season because he just loves he just loves you know playing on it he loves playing to the crowd um i thought it was quite funny that in the the match against Evans, when he did uh when he did win it he like chucked his racket but he's very passionate he like chucked his racket it almost like looked in anger but it was more obviously in, in celebration but um yeah really really impressive from him i'm i'm really interested to see how he gets on in monte carlo and yeah i think just a word on on dan evans it was i think another sort of frustrating result for him you know i think in miami we said he had a, a three-set match that against tfo which he lost that he felt that was maybe 50 50 maybe should have won again in in dubai before that and um, i think he'll he'll again look at this match and be disappointed with the outcome of it um particularly after winning that that second set 6-1 um to then go and lose it you would have thought that you know you would have had the momentum to just kind of go uh and on and win against uh you know a talented but inexperienced opponent but you know wasn't the case so you know that probably says a lot about kind of Musetti and his kind of mental toughness and um yeah I think Dan Evans will be slightly disappointed with his his results in the in the singles uh as the top seed yeah he did get to the double semis though playing with Federico Correa so yeah he He's doing quite well on a double score at the moment. Is Dan what Evans? Is, what is going on there? Because it's I don't I don't feel I feel like he's getting he's using the doubles to get more just kind of practicing, uh, not actually thinking. Oh, I could go on and, and win the title here, but yeah, I mean Miami and now uh, Cagliari. He's he's he seems to be getting to the the business end of the uh, the the doubles. So I don't know if he's thinking, you know, World Tour Finals end of the season whether. Uh, <laughs> Whether I could go for the doubles. Uh, no, I mean, I'm I think, only joking. But. Well, yeah, he's playing with different partners as well. But I was thinking, oh, I could see him going deeper of slam, you know, <laughs> potentially in the doubles. But we'll see. Um, but we also had Marbella, uh, 250 for the ATP, which was a bit of a showcase for Spanish tennis uh, because obviously lots of Spaniards in the draw in their home event. And we had four Spaniards in the semifinals, uh, which is horror, great. Shock horror, Kim. Shock horror. <laughs> Did we ever expect anything else? <laughs> uh, but it actually, it's the first time that four players from the same country have been in the semifinals of an ATP event for 17 years. And it's funny because we had that with the WTA event in St. Petersburg, didn't we? Where I think seven of the last eight were Russian. So now we've had something similar happening again uh, in the men's uh, game. But um, yeah, in the end, it was PCB, Pablo Carreño Busta, who came through and won the title against Xiaomi Munar in the final in three sets today, uh, 6-1, 2-6, 6-4. Um, yeah, I, this was kind of quite par for the course, I think. Uh, you know, he was the top seed. I could totally see him winning it from the word go. Uh, came through in a, in a last set tiebreak against Ramos Vanolas in the semi-finals. Um, and I was really pleased to see Xiaomi Minard in a final because he's, you know, kind of a young, kind of, I would say, up-and-coming player. Young-ish. Young-ish, yeah. Hasn't really done what I thought he could be capable of doing. So I was pleased to see him get to a final. Um, he is, you know, from Mallorca. And I guess in, in Rafa's shadow very much, but it's, yeah, I don't think he's going to be, you know, up there like perhaps Carlos Alcaraz, who got to the semifinals, had a really impressive week, uh, but, but fell to, to Munar in the semis. But, um, 
Carlos Alcaraz, it was funny because he came up against Feliciano Lopez, who is obviously one of the elder statesmen of the ATP tour. And I think it was the third biggest age gap between two <laughs> players on tour since 1990. Um, I mean, Lopez could be his, his, his dad, couldn't he? could be Alcaraz's dad. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was really, um, you know, it, that, that matchup was really, really uh battle of the, literally battle of the ages uh, with Alcaraz coming through. Um, just on that semi-final against Munar, really, I thought that was really, really interesting because I think, I think, you know, both those players, I mean, Munar, you know, he's an alumni of the, you know, the next gen finals. And, you know, I don't think, I think he's in the sort of, Davidich Fakina camp in he's I don't think we're expecting them to you know be up in lights in in the same regard as potentially like a an Alcaraz or a, a Musetti but um I think you know Munar I, I think a bit more the fact that he has a bit more experience than Alcaraz I mean Alcaraz is 17 years old um I think Munar's experience sort of told and uh, it was interesting to hear from Alcaraz in the the post match of um, the post match kind of com- post match interview after the Munar defeat, he kind of spoke about the fact that you know Munar was just very very solid and he just didn't have an answer to it and he was actually getting very frustrated with himself and just it just I think it's just a reminder that you know he's seventeen he's got a lot to he's got a lot to learn and I think he learned in that match he just didn't have a, a plan B didn't know you know what to do and as a result of that he was just getting a bit frustrated with himself but I definitely feel like. Alcaraz, Musetti, they both had very good weeks. And particularly, I think, in these 250 events, they're able to get the the match practice that um, is going to help them build and hopefully give them more, um, you know, time on court, more time to learn so that when they, you know, have those opportunities at the the Masters events. I think Massetti's got a wild card, for example, into Monte Carlo. Then they're able to really kind of go onto that court with some momentum and understand what they need to do to really kind of, you know, really kind of make some make some waves. Definitely. And it was nice also to see uh, Bjorn Borg watching on uh, today, uh, watching the final, because his son Leo was, uh, well, was playing in the qualifying for this tournament. So he was obviously out there uh you know, watching his son, but also staying on to uh, to watch the rest of the, the tournament. Um, but yeah, uh, a fantastic event for Spaniards out in Marbella. <laughs> it was lovely to see. I mean, they had quite a few fans there as well, which was uh, obviously nice to see. But um, yeah, I'm obviously quite partial to a bit of Spanish tennis. So um, on that note, we're going to take a quick break now. But do join us in the second half, where we'll be looking at the Monte Carlo draw, as well as all the news from Roland Garros. So join us in a sec. This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And uh, before we get on to the uh, news from the ATP and WGA Tours, uh, I think we've got a new a new game up our sleeves, yes. haven't have we, Joel? Yes. Yeah. We've been, listeners, we have been scheming at Passing Shot HQ over the last few weeks of a new game, a new game to rival uh, Mysterious Player um, that we, obviously, we want you guys to, to play along with as well. Kim, I've called it, it's going to be called Par for the Court. The game is called Par for the Court. And what the idea of this game is, I am going to give you a category. And uh, from that category, you're going to give me as many correct answers in a row as possible. And I'm going to set you a a par score that you're going to try uh, to match or or beat without getting a wrong answer. So 
do you understand the rules? I know I probably explained them just very convolutedly there, but do, do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? I I do, Joel. I think I think so. I, I've got to I've got to be really on on it. If I give the wrong answer, I'm I'm out, and I've completely forfeited the game. I think so. What is the question? What so, what, what am I being quizzed on? <laughs> so we've got Monte Carlo. We've got Monte Carlo coming up, and I know you're a big Rafa fan. So my category for you is players who have lost to Rafael Nadal in Monte Carlo finals. Oh, oh my and gosh. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are eight players that Rafa has beaten in Monte Carlo Masters finals. And I know this is quite a tough question. So my par for the court is going to be 50%. I'm going to say four four correct answers in a row. It's funny you say that because in my head I was like, oh, I think I could go for four. Um, <laughs> but I feel like I've got to be ambitious. I'm going to say I can get five. Okay. Uh, I don't think I'd be able to get all eight, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. So shall I, shall I commence? Yes. What are we, okay, what are you right. going with? What's your, give me your <laughs> first answer. I'll go for the obvious ones. Novak Djokovic. Correct. Yeah. Roger Federer. Correct. Roberto Bautista Agut. Surely. Oh, Kim. Oh, please. Kim. Oh, no, no Rafa just... Kim, is that is a wrong oh, answer. I'm yeah. sure Rafa thrashed him in a final, no. like 6-2, 6-love. Or was that Ramos Vinolas? Oh, Oh no! Okay, I'll give you a slight. I'll give you a slight <laughs> reprieve here. Um, if you want to change your answer, because I know they are. They've both got double barreled names. If you want to change your answer <laughs> to Ramos Vinolas, I'm going to let you because it's because it's a new game, and I'm feeling generous. Oh. So it was Ramos Vinolas then. Correct. It was oh, Albert okay. Ramos Vinolas. No, I mean to be. It, I will admit that I lost this but i'll carry shall i carry on and see how many i <laughs> Please can carry get? on yes okay. yes um stan wavrinka incorrect no. Um, <laughs> oh, no. no kim kim <laughs> this is i mean i i thought this was going to be a test but uh no um, that is incorrect oh it's because rafa's played like in more recent years i would say lots of random people um mm. it's oh F- fognini did he lose in a final to rafa Incorrect. No, no. Uh, Nishikori. <laughs> yes, yes, Nishikori is correct. Lost to Nadal in 2018. Okay. Um, he's won it so many times. I just can't remember. <laughs> if um, you're out of answers, I can. I'm happy. I can happily give you the rest of them. Um, uh, just one. Uh, Andy Murray. Did he get to a final? <laughs> incorrect no i think i'm i think i'm done then (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean it was quite 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 a tough one but um you could have given me uh 2005 his first monte carlo masters title he beat guillermo coria oh of Um, course i feel like we've spoken about that on the podcast i know we have (laughs) um fernando vadasco he beat in 2010 kim i'm surprised you didn't say david ferrer uh he beat in 2011 um (laughs) And the one other player you could have said uh, was Gael Monfils. Uh, really? In okay. Yeah, 2016, wow. he uh, beat Gael Monfils. So, um, yeah, it was 
Coria, Federer, Djokovic, Vadasco, Ferrer, Monfils, Ramos Manolas, and Kei Nishikuri. Um, maybe that was quite tough, but you, you were not par for the courts today, no, Kim. I was not. No, <laughs> I was, I had a, a bogey. Does that mean I was above par? No, under. I don't know. I don't yeah, do golf. Well. That's why I like <laughs> tennis. I don't know what's going on. Um, right. So moving on, we don't have a mailbag this week, Joel, but we do have um, just a, a note uh, of thanks to some of our listeners because in the news, uh, the pleasant news that Gail Monfils and Alina Svistina are going to be getting married, um, we uh, were talking about husband and wife doubles teams and we had a few uh, comments from listeners um about suggestions so we have uh flavia panetta and fabio fognini obviously they are now married um jack sock and, and sloan stevens they, they're not married but they were a couple at a time and then they did play doubles and then obviously team and ladenovic as well i think paired up and they were an item as well so thanks to topspin lobber for pointing those names out it's definitely a lot more romance on tour than we we probably realized <laughs> Vlad Denovich and team. I should have known that one because that was quite a high profile one because we were like, mm. these are, this is the it couple of, of tennis for, well, however that, however long yeah. that was going on for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but we also had, uh, at Joanna Writer get in touch with us to say, um, that she remembered Sam Groth used to play doubles with then wife Yarmila Gadjusova. Um, and that that she watched them one time play, and she felt that every time they lost a point, they she felt that it could, I quote, could end in divorce, which I lo- absolutely loved uh, reading. It made me laugh laugh out loud. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I love these husband and wife uh, doubles teams. They're just uh, they're great, and maybe Svitolina and Monfils. I feel like it's inevitable, Kim. Surely they're going to be adding themselves to this this list, this this exclusive list uh, of of doubles partners. I would hope so, but I think um, Joanna obviously was was right because lo and behold, they did get divorced. So whether that was due to their doubles <laughs> or true. not, um, we we don't know really. But uh, but anyway, back to the tennis. Um, we have heard the news this week that the French Open has been postponed by a week, and it is now going to be commencing on the. 30th of May uh, instead of the 23rd. That's for the main draw. Qualifying will be um, starting, well, on the 24th of May. But anyway, so anyway, essentially it's been put back a week. Um, so the uh, this is because of the rising COVID rates in, in France. They're, they're currently on a sort of lockdown, another lockdown, and they want to make sure that the tournament has adequate time to be able to accommodate the number of fans that they're hoping they can um and all the hospitality and everything uh, to me joel a week i don't know if it's going to make an awful lot of difference if, if it's that bad you know with covid is, is a week going to really help the situation i yeah i mean that was my kind of gut reaction as well and uh you know I, the other sort of when i when i saw this sort of as as breaking news my other sort of reaction was um you know it's it the, you know the, the the line of argument here is that they want to get you know fans in to play and that's that's ov- that's obviously great but um i feel like it should be like you know it that uh, we would love that to happen but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case so i don't know if if ticket sales are obviously really really important or you know the the, the value that that kind of brings in is is really important for the french open that's why they've gone into this move because we've seen I think tournaments in similar, you know, in, in 
you know, in cities and in countries with particularly, you know, bad rates, you know, going back to kind of earlier stages in the pandemic, just, you know, going on whilst, you know, there's like a lockdown going around elsewhere, but they obviously didn't want to do that. So yeah, they've decided to kind of postpone by week. And I think this, you know, the backdrop of this is the fact that, you know, last year they did kind of go off on themselves and, and announce, you know, they were, they were going to move the tournament to, uh, October um and you know a lot of play- players a lot of people kind of looking looking at this with with similarities in terms of it feeling quite selfish um because that will eat into the grass season um that will cut the grass court season by a week and there are actually grass court tournaments going on uh meant to be well at the moment scheduled to be going on on that proposed kind of second week of the French Open Stuttgart Nottingham and Hertogen Bosch in the Netherlands. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, it, it feels a bit, um, I don't know if it, it feels very kind of confusing at the moment because I don't know what situation we're kind of <laughs> expecting ourselves for in terms of at the moment, it could be, you know, we have a second week of the French Open, but there's going to be ATP 250s going on as well on, on the grass courts. Yeah, I mean, that's not completely foreign because back in the day, you know, the grass court season literally started the day after the French Open final. And I think there were, there would have already been like challenges and, st- and stuff on, on the grass, you know, during Roland Garros. But yeah, I think that's the issue, isn't it? Those tournaments, if they are forced to amend their dates as a result of the French being put back a week, then well, people are saying the French Tennis Federation would have to sort of reimburse those tournaments for any costs incurred but then I to be honest with you I don't really think they need to to change those tournaments because you know by that point as as many people have rightly said there's going to be many players who are already out of Roland Garros and who will be you know thinking about the grass ready to play on the grass and I'm sure you know there'll be adequate numbers um playing on those tournaments I suppose the likes of you know Nottingham Hertog and Bosch they're not going to be able to get the, the caliber of players they would have wanted some of the top seeds won't be there and that's their main issue I suppose and that's what would have drawn a lot of people to the events and sponsors and what have you um, but I do think this time the French haven't sort of just gone ahead and made this decision like it has been discussed with the Grand Slam board and it's been supported by the other slam so they have consulted on on this one this time and generally, it's it's been received okay, I think. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you say that, Kim. I mean, there have been some players who've been quite vocal about this uh, and not particularly happy about it. Um, Elise Cornet, uh, people may have seen uh, at uh, Ben Rothenberg uh, tweeted, uh, Elise Cornet did an interview uh, with the Tennis Channel and talked about the fact that she was uh, not happy at all at the, the postponement, uh, citing, I think, very little sort of conversation uh, between uh, the the event and the players. Uh, I think Cornet literally just found out on the, like, on the interview itself and literally went, you know, was not not happy at all and also arena rodianova tweeted i'd much rather play an extra week on grass than the french open and i know for a fact i'm not the only one unfortunately rg doesn't ask anyone's opinion so it does sound like although there's been uh collaboration and cooperation between uh you know the grand slams and um you know the boards the boards as well there still seems to be a a missing some sort of gap between that uh, in terms of the communication between them and the players, because we're still getting these sorts of, um, you know, these, uh, you know, these views kind of come up. And I think that is sort of disappointing because 
it's like almost kind of like what did we learn from you know the French Open moving last year and it doesn't feel like we've we've almost kind of rectified it I would only just say I feel like you know if we do have those grass courts events in the second week of the French Open that I think there is a question there in terms of the cred like does this affect the, the credibility of Roland Garros in terms of the the you know the tournament organizers for it when there will be eyes on other tournaments elsewhere whilst you know the one of the big grand slams of the year is going on and I think that's what the the issue is in terms of that exclusivity that you know it would have had if it had you know started you know the week the week before but the fact that it's lost its exclusivity I wonder, you know, my personal feeling is that, you know, that's the compromise you're going to have to make if you're going to tell people very last last minute notice that you're you're moving a week. But um yeah, I think that's you know, that's the issue. Um yeah, it's not ideal because as a fan, you know, I want to tune in and watch like the French Open semis probably more than watching the quarterfinals of Hedogenbosch. You know, I would probably choose to watch the Grand Slam as opposed to... So yes, I, I do agree. Um, it's not ideal to have everything happening in one go. And I, I know that obviously COVID makes these sorts of decisions, you know, it, it's not easy. Um, I do think that the French Tennis Federation must be just thinking of finances and must be thinking we need to get as many fans in as possible. And the only way we're going to do that is to give ourselves a bit more time. Um, but they, also, the other thing is the the forerunning events to the French Open, Madrid and Rome, they were due to be scheduled back to back at the start of May. But some proposals are being made that there would now be a week's break between those two. So you'd have Madrid, then a week off and then Rome. Uh, but Rome have said that they can't host it in, in the week that you know, the, one week later. So I think that's going to have to stay as it is in that case and just have a bigger gap before the French Open. Um, but also, I suppose if you do well at the French, you're then hindered a bit, aren't you, for the grass? You've got one less week to prepare, one less tournament to play before Wimbledon. So it's just not ideal for anyone. <laughs> no, exactly. And particularly if you're, you know, a player who, you know, might not necessarily be, you know, you, you know, you might be thinking, oh, Rafa's just going to win his you know, next Roland Garros crown kind of what's the point? Um, you know, we've seen, you know, big players like, you know, Roger Federer has skipped kind of clay season and the French Open in, in recent seasons. I mean, what really can we expect from Andy Murray as well? Um, kind of on the, on the clay courts. Um, you know, particularly we know he's such a fantastic player on the grass courts. You know, you've got to think that, you know, whether they might feel actually if, if this is the case and I, you know, I want to be in tip top shape on my best surface. You know, do I just skip the you know the French Open altogether? Um, th- I think that kind of remains to that remains to be seen. But I think it's it, if it if it does go on like this, it is putting players in a bit of a dilemma in terms of you know, do you choose to play the French Open or do you choose to get an extra week on the grass courts? Because that potentially could be to your to your advantage. Yeah, I think some players will be weighing that up uh, in their mind and, you know, or some players might be having hope, high hopes for the clay. It might go, you know, all very wrong in the first week of Roland Garros, but then the silver lining will be that they might end up doing better on grass as a result, which does often happen. But we'll see. We'll be keeping everyone up to date with any news that does come out <laughs> uh, in the coming weeks over, over this one. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how it, how it all gets on. But um, Kim, I'm just looking forward to when... I feel like inevitably, as you said, I think the biggest question this year is going to be, 
what happens if a, a week doesn't do anything and they've just moved it and they're still not allowed fans mm. i think it's just gonna mm. upset even even more people so they might suddenly last minute be like sorry it's not happening uh we'll move it to <laughs> october it again yeah. and oh yeah and well then, maybe who knows yeah then everyone will have even more time on the grass so yeah um that will certainly be interesting I can't see that happening because it just feels like a complete waste of the clay season that we're just about yeah. to have. Yeah, And that's exactly. probably why it's been done for a week versus move to October because it, it feels, you know, we're built, you know, like every clay season, we're building to something right now. We're at the start of it. And that always normally ends at Roland Garros. And we knew we need to have Roland Garros as that end point. So that it just feels like it's just a little bit more protracted uh, given this news. I do. Uh, I do. I agree, Joel. <laughs> um, let's move on to a really interesting announcement, actually. And that is that Tony Nadal is joining FAA's coaching team. So Tony Nadal is coming back onto the tour with Felix Ojealiassime. Um, he's kind of going to join them for the Grand Slams and, and sort of selected tournaments. I don't think he's planning on being there all the time, just kind of the big, the big events. Um, but yeah, getting back in, into the, into the game and onto the tour coaching. Obviously, Tony was, you know, Rafa's coach for many, many years since he was obviously a young. Um, I think FAA went out to Mallorca in December to kind of talk it through. Uh, with him and, and Fred, who's his kind of existing coach, Fred Frontang. And yeah, obviously it all got on very well. And Tony is, is, uh, you know, signed up to help, help FAA. So I think, yeah, quite an interesting, perhaps unexpected announcement of their, of their partnership. Yeah. That took me, I don't know if it, for our listeners, but that certainly took me by surprise. Um, obviously we know FAA's potential, but we also know his, I think, struggles at the moment, particularly with finals. And I think, you know, having someone like Tony Nadal in your side is going to help. It is going to help your game. Um, you know, he knows what it is like to breed, uh, you know, uh, one of the greatest of all time. And I think there's no doubt that Ogier Aliassim has, know potential to be a very very accomplished player you know arguably a future grand slam winner but there are definitely i think certainly kind of faults in his game at the moment and you know he he's probably thinking you know i need to how am i gonna get to that that next level and you know arguably this is you know is this for him makes you know it it makes a lot of sense and um it's just it's just very surprising because obviously we see that that nadal that nadal name and and we're going to see him in OJ Aliassim's, you know, corner now, and you know that first matchup against Rafa. There's, it just adds another layer of of fascination and intrigue to it because, um, you know, they 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 had played, you know, they had, you know, have fostered that relationship over such a long period of time, and now you know he's gone to a he's gone to another camp. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You someone asked, you know, ha- what will happen when they have to play each other, but um, yeah, I think Tony said that he wouldn't. He wouldn't be in either of their boxes, you know. He would um, just sort of stay away from the actual court, maybe. But um, if, if Rafa had to lose to someone, then it would, you know, be okay if it was FAA, I suppose. But um, yeah, I think I think Rafa's obviously probably fine with it. I think FAA is is the type of character that would go well with with Tony Nadal. Like he seems a very genuine, you know, kind individual. And I don't think Tony would get involved with anyone that that wasn't. So because um, he's a really nice bloke. 
and I think Felix is as well. So there we go. I think that's a quite a nice, nice little partnership and I, I wish them well. And uh, we'll have to see, you know, how FAA gets on in Monte Carlo because I don't know if it's sort of an immediate thing. I, I assume they'll be advising him kind of from now. So yeah, we'll have to see if there's any instant results that, that pay dividend. And And let's just talk about the Monte Carlo draw because obviously it's, the tournament has got underway already. Um, obviously, the, the big names are there, except, you know, Federer's not there, obviously. Uh, Dominic Team is not playing. Uh, he said he's not ready to to return just yet. He's he's eyeing a return in, in Belgrade, uh, which is in, interesting that he has decided not, not to play this one. You know, he's not obviously had the best start of the season. You know, he had that, he had that match against Kyrgios, uh, which he came through really emphatically, and then almost kind of lost very emphatically to Grigor Dimitrov. And we've not really heard much since then. We know he's such a, a fantastic competitor on the clay court. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. I don't know if there's any injury issues there. It didn't, it didn't sound like it. Um, but, uh, I could be completely wrong. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he is not there. I think that, I think when the draw came out, I think the most interesting thing to see was, uh, you know, Medvedev was is now the second seed he's above Rafa in the rankings and therefore it was interesting to see where Nadal was going to land was he going to land on Djokovic's side or was he going to land on Medvedev's side and he has landed on Medvedev's side so we still could very much have a Nadal Djokovic final but uh let's let's kind of look Kim at that top half and let's look at Djokovic first of all because great Djokovic to play we've not really heard much of uh well, if anything, we've not seen him on a court since you know his triumph at the Australian Open. Uh, could come up against Zverev um, in the uh, quarterfinals uh, if the seeds hold. Um, he's also got Sissipas and, and Berrettini as well in that top half. Um, I think the most interesting thing, though, he's got is he could face Yannick Sinner in, in the second round. Yes, uh, that will be certainly interesting. And and looking, I guess, likely, because obviously Sinner, you know, is in decent form. Well, he's got Ramos Vinodas, though, first round, who obviously on a clay court is... Tough, tough. ...is decent yeah. and is a former Monte Carlo finalist, as I've learnt today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, Djokovic obviously didn't play Miami. He's had plenty of time practicing on clay over the last few weeks so I would be surprised if Djokovic you know lost early even if he did come up against you know Sinner um he's got a decent draw and I, I just Djokovic Monte Carlo you know he, he lives there he's very much at home there I just I don't really see him slipping up before the latter stages I mean, it's, it's Djokovic. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, exactly. Although I do say at Monte Carlo, I feel like he's had some random losses, and either he yeah. he does either he does win or he does lose quite early, like randomly early on. So, um, you know, I, I think coming in cold against someone like Sinner or Ramoshmanes, that is going to be. I do think that's quite a tough one, but I think it gets a bit easier as he kind of goes on. Um, interestingly, Lorenzo Massetti, as I said, has a wild card. Um, he could play, uh, sorry, he does play Aslan Karatsev, um, in the first round, which is quite a bit of an, an exciting one. I mean, in the kind of the, the second quarter, as I said, Sissipas and Berrettini, uh, you know, Berrettini, again, a player we've not really heard much of, you know, I think had a bit of an injury, um, you know, has been out since the Australian Open. So feels like, he could be a seed that could be uh, very much, um, you know, one one there for the, the taking. Sispas we know is good on a clay court. 
I mean, yeah, it's that feels like quite an open quarter for me. Yeah, um, I think I think so. Yes, it's fast may well come through that one. Berrettini. I mean, I've got a bit of a rogue finalist, I think, when I was looking at the draw and making predictions. And that is from that that particular quarter. Um, I mean, looking at the bottom half, obviously, this is Medvedev being the, the number two seed now. Him on a clay court, still a bit like debatable, perhaps. But the thing is, he, he has made the semifinals of Monte Carlo before. He's actually beaten Sitspas and Djokovic um, at, at that time on, you know, on his run to the semis in, in Monte Carlo. So I don't think we can say, oh, it's a clay court. You know, he might not like playing on clay, um, but it, it may not suit his game as well. But he's certainly able to, to play on it and play well. Um, yeah, I mean, the likes of Fognini are in his little section and Fognini has has form at this event, but didn't have a very good week uh, in Marbella. Um, no. Kind of getting he's beaten not, he's very not in good form at the moment. Yeah, yeah, but he's sort of one of those players that probably could suddenly turn it on. Uh, but Schwartzman and Carreno Buster are lurking in, in Medvedev's quarter. So potentially one of those two may make it through uh, to a semi to a final perhaps uh but Rafa will certainly have something to say about that he's got a decent draw i think uh dimitrov third round possibly and i know that they've had a cracker uh gosh many many years ago at, at monte carlo i was at that match and grigor took a set off Rafa and was looking a bit dodgy at some points but um <laughs> yeah and, and rublev quarterfinal potentially or, or roberto bautista so you know decent decent players and if Rafa's not ready if he's not fully fit if he's not warmed up enough he may struggle but it's it's hard to tell I think we just need to uh, it's been ages since Rafa's you know stepped onto court so it's really hard to know how he's going to be you know I would hope obviously that he'll be able to regain form of old that we have seen him play you know so many times and won Monte Carlo so many times but it's just we don't really know until like that first that first match uh, when he steps on court I think for Nadal and Djokovic, yeah, we just don't, we just won't know. We haven't really seen them in a while. So, uh, you know, we know they're obviously fantastic, fantastic, fantastic players and they've both got previous at Monte Carlo. So it'll be fascinating to see how they do. Um, Kim, I completely forgot because we didn't have Monte Carlo last year. Fabio Fognini is the current reigning champion. Oh, um, is he? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, I mean, that's how, that's how much I think tennis has changed. How many years yeah. ago it was. <laughs> well, yeah, many moons ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think Medvedev's got quite a tough, for me, Medvedev's got probably the toughest route of the, the top four seeds. I mean, he could face Basilashvili or Kranjevic in, in round two. Uh, you know, I think Basilashvili's played quite well. Um, uh, this week um so uh, yeah i think i think it's going to be quite difficult for medvedev if i'm being honest but you know you would expect nadal unless his body says you know says something uh, different um you would expect him to at least get to the you know semis or final probably final um so uh yeah i mean where where are you where are you thinking in terms of your your predictions give me uh well your kind of top half Top half and bottom half semi-finals. Oh well, I've gone for Djokovic, obviously, and I've gone for Christian Garin to make the semi-finals. Okay. And I don't <laughs> think he's really in much form, but I'm just thinking, well, he's pretty decent on a clay court, and I think there'll be a rogue semi-finalist. So I'm I'm going to go for Garin, and then bottom half, I've gone for Rafa against Diego Schwartzman. So I've gone for another South American. Uh, I think Schwartzman will beat Medvedev in the quarters. What about you, Joel? 
So very much, I think, with the top half, I'm going with the form book. I've got Djokovic versus Sissipas. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like that is just nailed on, to be honest, uh, when I was looking at the draw. Um, bottom half, a little bit more interesting. I've obviously got Nadal coming through. I think he's going to face Karenio Busta, though, in the semi-final. I think Karenio Busta will beat Schwartzman. I feel like Medvedev, if there is one of the top four seeds that's going to lose early, I think it's going to be Medvedev. I think Kranjevic or Basilashvili might uh, might get him. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm going Nadal PCB with a Djokovic Nadal final, and I've got Nadal winning, which I'm sure will will please you. Well, I hope you're right. Um, I've also got Djokovic and then Rafa in the final. Um, I hadn't made up my mind about the winner, but I'll, I will say Rafa, just based on history and my personal preferences and desires, <laughs> I hope. Hope my dreams come true, Joel, and Rafa wins. Uh, but we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see. That, that is happening this week. I shall be tuning in, of course. And yeah, lovely Monte Carlo back on the telly. Um, we've also randomly got a WTA 250 in Charleston happening, which is, you know, in the same location, obviously, as the 500 this week. So some players are staying on for that. Um, that's being headlined by Ange who is the top seed there. And also Shelby Rogers is there. And uh, Magda Lynette is the second seed. That's uh, surprising. I would have thought Shelby Rogers was, would be higher ranked than her, but apparently she's yeah. not. <laughs> I feel like Shelby Rogers will... I feel like she'll do something there. I think she lost a very tough one against Ash Barty. I think, I think she could come through that. Uh, again, Magda Lynette also is second seed. She's got Maria Camilla... Serrano Osorio, who just won Bogota. So Osorio Serrano. Sorry, oh, God. I knew I was going to get it in the wrong way round. That like four names, I knew the combination was going to be wrong. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, that will be fascinating. And then you've also got uh, Kovinic as well, uh, who's the finalist. She's unseeded again, so maybe she can go one better. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we also have coming up is the Billie Jean King Cup formerly known as the Fed Cup. Uh, we've got some like qualifying rounds going on, uh, including Great Britain versus Mexico, uh, which, well, if, if Britain don't win this, I'll be very surprised because, you know, you've got Heather Watson, Harriet Dark, Katie Swan, Jodie Burridge and Katie Balter up against the Mexican team, uh, which I think in terms of rankings are, are considerably lower ranked. Their, their top player is world number 285, Marcela Zacharias. Uh, Juliana Olmos, Fernanda Contreras and Yulia Garcia-Ruiz. Um, their number one player, Renata Zarazua, uh, who many people will have heard of, is is not playing. So I think we've got a really good chance, Joel, to come through this one um, at home to Mexico. I'd be really surprised if, if we didn't manage to win this one. I mean, everything, I feel like everything is in our favour for this tie, Kim. <laughs> it's, it's, a good, it's at home, it's on it's, pro, it's on a hardcore, indoor hardcore or outdoor hardcore, whatever. It's not on clay. Um, yes, there's no Joe Conta, but you feel like with the experience of, of Heather Watson, um, it, it, you, sh- you should be able to get that done relatively easily. I think it, what will be interesting is who who will go with Heather Watson for the singles. Uh, would you go with, I mean, would you go with Dart or would you go with Katie Balter? I feel like you would go with Katie Balter. Mm. I think Katie Balter's got a very decent uh, win ratio uh, at Fed Cup and obviously was really important back in 2019, uh, that victory over Kazakhstan, that win she had over Diaz, I think. So, yeah, I think 
personally probably bought her. Uh, but it's good that Jodie Burridge has been selected. This will be her first time playing uh, in, in the Fed Cup team or Billie Jean King Cup team. God, that is a mouthful. Um, <laughs> but we've also got uh, this weekend some other playoffs. We've got the likes of Romania, Ukraine and the Netherlands playing. So obviously... People like Simona Halep, Svitolina, Kiki Burtons, they are all in action in playoffs um, in various locations. So, yeah, definitely that that is all happening this year. And I think that the kind of finals uh, for the, the Fed Cup, Billie Jean King Cup, they are due to take place next April. Um, and obviously that's been postponed since last year. So it's eventually we will get to the situation yes. that we were hopefully going to have over yeah. a year, well about a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> I completely yeah. It's, it's I feel like it's such a, a long road because it's it, this is although it's a qualifying round, it then goes into a playoff round. Mm. If you win that, then you get into the the finals. So um, yeah, I feel like this is the start of something, and I'm certainly expecting Great Britain to uh, to beat Mexico. Um, I hope listeners, you've enjoyed this episode of the Passing Shot Tennis Podcast. Um, um, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, we've, got, we've had a lot to get through, so we're going to going to cut it there. But um, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this catch up. Uh, remember to subscribe to the Passing Shot to stay up to date on all things tennis. Whether you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, make sure you hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on the tennis world. And if you have been enjoying listening to the podcast, make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do uh, give us a like, give us a follow and you can let us know all your thoughts uh, and comments and feedback on there. And you can also email us PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And we will be back as always next week, next Sunday with another Passing Shot catch up. And we'll be looking back, of course, on Monte Carlo and all the action from the Billie Jean King Cup. So I hope you can join us for that one. But in the meantime, uh, I hope you're well and safe wherever you are. And we will see you again soon. So, Kim... I don't know about you, but I was watching a bit of Carlos Alcaraz this week and the commentator said Carlos Alcatraz and it's been in my mind ever since uh, that, you know, that famous uh, prison in San Francisco. It's so easy to do, isn't it? It's, it's, <laughs> it's an easy slip of the tongue. Feels like his name is a typo. <laughs>